And even in child innocence knew that these four loaves and two fish weren't going to go very far. It's so easy for us in saying, well, look, the, the problems are so massive, I can't take care of it all. And that's right. But the wrong answer is, so I'll take care of more for myself. And I fear that we are, we are being squeezed into a mold. This is the Living Prophets podcast, and this week I bring you one of my favorite all-time preachers, David Miller, who explains that the story of the loaves and fishes is really a story about miracles that come about when we believe in the power of our own sacrifices. Here it goes. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing, what, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The Lord be with you. I had had one of those weeks in which the reality of the resurrection becomes all the more clear. I battled very, I was quite sick for the first three days of this week and have been getting better gradually and today definitely feel like resurrection is happening. So I am grateful to be among you and thank you for the, the prayers and words of encouragement I've received this week. This is our celebration of Mennonite World Fellowship Sunday. It is a delayed celebration, but nonetheless a vital one for us. And the reason that a day like this, I think, is, is, is important is it is a time where we invite and we welcome the counsel, the encouragement, the instruction of brothers and sisters from around the world. The texts that we hear this morning are not texts we have chosen, but they have chosen for us. They've invited us to gather with them, as, you, as, as it were, as an extended community around the world to hear God's word together, but to hear it through, 
filters through hear, hear it through the experience which they have. And particularly the focus this, this year has come from, from the churches of South America. And they have asked us, they've posed a question for us as we listen to these texts, as we gather around them and, and sit with them. They ask us this question, is there a relationship between hunger and violence? Are they part of the, the horizon, part of the, the realm of our experience and awareness? And the question they ask us. Or are they just out there and let's all celebrate that we're Mennonites? go on with life. I just suggest that one of the gifts that they give us, if we dare to hear their voices, is to expose the seductiveness of our own milieu, our own culture, as at no other time in my memory I feel like that I am living in an incubator of fear and scarcity in the midst of much plenty. That the psyche of a nation is being turned toward selfishness and absent from our public discourse, the phrase that I grew up learning in social studies called the common good. That somehow our well-being was interconnected. And it was this very language that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King could appeal to when he appealed to a nation to open its eyes to institutionalized racism and, and prejudice that, that characterized it, saying, saying you know, we, we are not living up to the foundational creeds of this nation. And he was able to root those creeds in the words of the prophets and in the words of Jesus. There's a foundation here, and this isn't being realized. I invite you to compare the text of a recent inaugural address with these words that were proclaimed in the midst of a period of scarcity, in the midst of the Great Depression. The second inaugural address of Franklin Delano Roosevelt who addressed the nation and said this, in this nation I see tens of millions of its citizens, a substantial part of its whole population, who are at this very moment denied the greater part of what the very lowest standards of today call the necessities of life. I see millions of families trying to live on income so meager that the pall of family disaster hangs over them day by day. I see millions whose daily lives in city and on farm continue under conditions labeled indecent by so-called polite society half a century ago. I see millions denied education, recreation, and the opportunity to better their lot and the lot of their children. I see millions lacking the means to buy the products of farm and factory and by their poverty denying work and productiveness to many other millions. I see one-third of a nation ill-housed, ill-clad, ill-nourished, 
It is not in despair that I paint you that picture. I paint it for you in hope. Because the nation, seeing and understanding the injustice in it, proposes to paint it out. We are determined to make every American citizen the subject of this country's interest and concern, and we will never regard any faithful law-abiding group within our borders as superfluous. The test of our progress is not whether we add more to the abundance of those who have much. It is whether we provide enough for those who have too little. That was the nature of public discourse at a moment, at a moment when self-interest could have been elevated, at a moment when suspicion could have bred greater division and even civil war. Bread and justice, our sisters and brothers in Central and South America remind us, are deeply connected. But it is a lesson it is a lesson that is being silenced in this nation. It is a lesson that is not part of our public discourse. And I fear that we are, we are being squeezed into a mold. A mold that says, be fearful. Look out for yourselves. And the church, as much as any other place, is drinking in that fear. And that's why this liberating word from our brothers and sisters. And it is not just a word. I read the message accompanied Joel's invitation for those of you who want to buy fair trade coffee. Reminder, you're supposed to have those into them today. No charge for that advertisement, Joel. But Joel shared the experience that he and Jesse had in, in the home of, of one of the coffee growers and the warm welcome and hospitality. The warm welcome and hospitality from a person by the measure of any of our lives here is a far, far more meager existence freely given and extended. That, that risk-taking generosity that we are schooled against, we are schooled to be fearful. There's not going to be enough for you. Take care of yourself. Privatize this. Can we, in the face of such rhetoric and such fear, even begin to hear the word of God anymore that touched this young child in a crowd? Well, I'm certain was hungry for his lunch. And even in child innocence knew that these, these four loaves and two fish weren't going to go very far. You see... It's so easy for us in saying, well, look, the, the problems are so massive, I can't take care of it all. And that's right. I can't solve it all. And that's right. But the wrong answer is, so I'll take care of more for myself. 
That's what we're being taught. That's the policies we are passing right now as a nation. It's too massive out there, so make sure you've got enough for yourself. In the middle of the Depression, Roosevelt said, no, we're going to go another, we're going to go another direction. And we will consider no progress made unless we can look at the most vulnerable members of our society and see that progress is occurring for them. For only then, for only then will we break the cycles of violence that grow out of hunger and fear. I think I've shared once before, but I risk of repeating myself, I will share it once again, the story that Mose and Ada Beachy tell out of their time in Puerto Rico. They had been sent to MCC. Mose and Ada were members of the church I pastored in Indiana. They had gone to Puerto Rico, and Mose was the, the principal of the Mennonite school in Batania. And Mose got there, and he, he had grown up an Amishman in Iowa, a good farmer, First Amishman to graduate from Eastern Mennonite College, still plain Amish at that time. Anyway, Mosenado went to went to Puerto Rico, and he he had this said he had his college education and his scientific worldview and all of his training, and he got there and he saw Puerto Ricans. Each family had a hog that they were raising for for meat. He saw them feeding these animals rice. no nutritional value in just feeding rice to these hogs. And so he decided he was going to get at this, but he'd get at it by means of scientific experimentation. So at a, at a school meeting, when, uh, like PTA meeting, when parents and teachers, everybody was gathered, Moses said, I'm proposing that we engage in a scientific experiment here at the school. I'd like funds to buy two piglets, and the one we will feed out on Purina feed, and the other we will feed out on rice. Absolutely silent. And finally he said, a man stood up and said, you don't know anything. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you come down here and you see us feeding rice to our pigs. And you think it's because we are so stupid. The reason we feed rice to our pigs is because every meal and especially on Sundays we prepare enough so that whoever comes to our table there is food and then so it doesn't go to waste we feed what is left to the hogs you don't know anything and Moses said he was right I didn't know anything I didn't understand the power of hospitality and what that meant. All I could see was how to squeeze a little bit more out. It's why we desperately need to hear the voices of our brothers and sisters. To allow their consciousness, to allow their reality to sneak in under the radar. 
and inject a healthy dose of doubt. A healthy dose of doubt that we carry in our minds in the face of the public discourse we are hearing these days in our land that teaches us to fear, that teaches us to look at one another as enemies, as competitors. You're going to use up my social security. You see, I turn 49 soon. And I'm in that real vulnerable group. Those of you who are 55 and above, you, you slipped in safe if they changed the rules. You're going to use it up, aren't you? There's not going to be any left for me and my kids. My kids are all going to be putting it away for themselves. I'm going to be stuck. And we're being taught to think that way. To view one another as competition rather than cooperation. And to think that my welfare is dependent solely on what I do for myself. At a time when we are talking, saying that an election was won on the basis of a moral vote? Do we have any idea what the morality of the scriptures are anymore? There is heresy abroad in this country. I'm not saying that the other candidate would have been any better. I don't think so. But at least we have to stand up and say, this is heresy. If you want to go that route, that's fine, but you may not go there in Jesus' name. If you want to promote fear, that's fine. If you want to increase military budgets, that's fine, but you may not do so under the guise of Christianity. For they are incompatible. We will pray for you, for those who sit in government are in terribly difficult positions, absolutely. That is why we need a day like this, to hear the voices of our sisters and brothers. And all the more entitled the sermon initially, no such thing as a free lunch question. For you see on that hillside that day when the crowd was fed, <coughs> they thought they had gotten a free lunch. They thought that when they had that bread and fish, they'd been given a free lunch and say, hey, we like this, let's elect this guy. This will continue. Said. John tells us they were ready to make him king by force. Let's start the revolution. Let's start the uprising now. They didn't understand. They didn't understand because the rest of the crowd only knew that they had been satisfied. But there was one in the crowd who knew that he had, he had taken what he had so it was too little and too meager to be offered. You see, for the little boy, this was not a free lunch. 
For the little boy, it had cost him everything. It had cost him the risk of hunger. But it was enough. He knew he couldn't feed them all. But what he could do, he did. The rest of them were only enamored that they had gotten a free meal. I think the little boy went away understanding that for the rest of his life, he'd probably be giving away his lunch. But in that act, tables would be set, tables of hospitality. Do you remember the words that Ibrahim Ibrahim spoke to us when we had our picnic with the Islamic community? But how rumors of this event had traveled back to Saudi Arabia and Egypt. One simple act of hospitality in one community, one simple act of sharing a meal, were carried shockwaves of that, ripples of that. What if that act had been repeated a thousand times over? 5,000 times over? What, 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 if, what if the headlines two weeks later, three weeks later, the New York Times read, Muslims living in the United States astounded, report that each one had been invited to dinner by a Christian community, a Christian church, a Christian family. What might that have done in the war on terror? You see, the, the ludicrous things that we do, the ludicrous things we do that are always too little, they're always too little, these five loaves and two fishes, this meal at the park, it's always too little, it's not enough. And yet it gets magnified somehow when we do our Lord's bidding. And when we do it, a new world opens to us. But watch it when that new world opens up. Because you're going to find, you're going to be seduced in doing it again. And doing it again. Because you're going to find out that this is where life is. This is where the kingdom is. This is what our sisters and brothers are telling us. Saying, please, please don't buy into the publicity. Please don't buy into the press releases we're hearing coming out of your nation right now. Please come back and read the Gospels. They're pleading for our souls. Will their prayers for us be answered?